Hey, here's a trigger warning. The second half of the episode is filled with mentions of abuse, self-harm, and rape. If you still want to listen, do so with caution, because it can be a lot. Have you ever felt like disappearing? Like you're fading into the background noise? Because isn't that what all of us are going to be once we pass? Just white noise to fill the gaps of the world. Has anybody ever scared you so much that all you can do is just curl up in one corner of your bed while they mercilessly inflict pain upon you? It's not like they're God, it's just that they had the means to do so, and they did it. I don't believe violence is the answer to anything, so what do I do when I get beaten up? I struggle for a few minutes. The impulse comes and goes, like the tide, but other than that, I freeze. I let the moment seep deep into me, like seawater, cold and unyielding. It's always like I'm drowning. I pray that somebody would just take me back to the sea, where all water eventually ends up. My tears, my sweat, my blood. Hi Edgelings, this is Andy or Andrew. So I wrote this short document called Take Me Back to the Sea when I was in a really, really bad place, which I will expand to base this episode on. As a brief overview, I was in this abusive relationship for one and a half years. His name is Taha. As per usual, I'm not trying to save the world's woes and worries with this podcast, but if it can start conversations and destigmatize some aspects of life, then that's good enough for me. So let me just tell you this story of mine, a story about a relationship that shouldn't even have started in the first place. The year was 2014, and I was in Malaysia. I was studying at this university which was built on an incline. Even remembering about walking across the various university towers makes my feet hurt. I lived in a nearby apartment complex, which was fortunately not built on an incline, but I did live on the 18th floor so I can see this McDonald's outlet right across the street very clearly. There was nothing special in this first place of mine. Just a second-hand bed, a creaky wooden desk, a worn-out wooden dresser, and a bathroom with tiny blue tiles. I remember that I really liked that shade of blue. I barely knew my neighbors, and life was quite solitary back then, as I wasn't a big fan of making a lot of friends. This was two years after I had left home and my Sasuke-inspired bang behind, but it seemed that I still wanted to embody this mysterious character who works in the shadows, 
Even though I was one year into getting my bachelor's degree from this university, I had made prior plans and got accepted into a university in the UK. So at this point in time, approximately May of 2014, I was making preparations for my move in September. Everything seemed to be set in stone, so I decided that it was time to just do what I was doing until the time came for me to make my big move. Having a place of my own, of course, one of the first things that I did was to invite guys over for sex. I'm a purveyor of dating apps in general, so I was on all sorts of platforms. Grinder, Jacked, Manhunt, Scruff, and this one called Growler, which caters to mostly the bare subcommunity of the gay scene. This was also how I met the other major character of this episode, my sixth ex-boyfriend, Taha. Taha and I exchanged a couple of messages, and before long, we set up a meet. The venue was poetic and perfect, almost. It was at the McDonald's right across the street from me. We decided to meet the next day. So I walked over to our meeting spot and there he was. He's rather tall for a Malay guy and he's on the heavier end so nobody's complaining. He had just gone back from the gym so he had his gym duffel bag with him and then he smiled as he saw me with a glass of coke in one hand while the other one carried a pack of fries which he eventually offered to share with me. He was wearing a really comfy looking orange shirt and knee length shorts. There was an immediate spark between the two of us, between the conversations, how horny we obviously were, and the pack of fries. It didn't take long before we decided to go back to my place to have sex. The first night that we spent together was mostly filled with sex, banter, more sex, conversations about our childhood, and even more sex. I instantly knew that this guy was somebody I could definitely fall for, but alas, it could never work because I was about to move in a couple of months. I made that very, very clear to him, and he understood. So we decided that for my final months in Malaysia, we would just pass them together and have a good time. News eventually broke that my mother got a heart attack, and due to the failing healthcare system in Indonesia, she wasn't fully insured. And that would mean that my father had to take the funds that he had prepared for my living costs in Bristol for my mother's treatment. Because of this unfortunate series of events, I had two options. The first being I had to finish my degree in that same university in Malaysia and then fuck off somewhere else. And then the second option being I had to look for a scholarship or a funding opportunity to carry out my move. The second option was obviously riskier and there was basically no time at all for that admission year. So I had to go with option number one. I then told Taha about this, and I saw a sparkle of relief in his eyes, as if he was glad that I got to stay, and true enough, he then asked me what this meant for our relationship, which was previously in limbo. I again had two options, end it because it never was a sure thing, or stay with him. And this time around, I chose the second option. I thought to myself, sex was good. He's a charming guy. What could go wrong? 
Before I could enjoy my new brooding relationship with Daha, I was told by the Malaysian university staff that it was very unfortunate that I had to stay, but this also meant that I had to retake my entire bachelor's course because of bureaucracy. I was flabbergasted at first, which then evolved into anger. My plans seemed to be crumbling one after another. There I was, again, having to choose whether I wanted to redo my entire course or go back to Indonesia. My father pushed for me to go back to Indonesia, which meant that I had to take a couple of steps backwards in my grand plan. So I decided to do something that I still am grateful for until now. I found a third option, and I enrolled into another university. A medical university in Malaysia, the same one that Taha attended, and I got accepted. This was a very easy decision for me to make. I would then be closer to Taha, the diploma that I would get from this medical university would carry more substance, and I would get a clean slate. I could, for the last time, let go of this brooding, mysterious teenager mask that I've been trying to put on all my life and be something else entirely. I finalized my application, so Taha was really, really happy. I was happy, and all I had to do was wait for three months until my new university life started. In terms of personal growth, Taha was incredibly good for me. I tried different sexual things, I got to know more gay people in general. Heck, he was the first boyfriend that I took to get STD tested together. A month finally passed, and I had already started saying goodbye to the people from my old university. Amongst these people was this guy named Aaron. He's the first friend I've ever made in Malaysia, whom I eventually developed a crush on. Aaron was especially sad about this. I then offered to meet up for lunch so we could reminisce and catch up before I left. I also told him that I got into a relationship with Taha, and I knew that he was having some girl problems weeks prior, so I politely offered to listen. He then replied to my text saying how unfortunate it was how I started seeing somebody because that meant that, in Aaron's words, he could never taste me. I had to reread that chat bubble twice or thrice to make sure that I was understanding him, to which I replied, ha ha ha, what do you mean? He then called me, and I was like, eh? On the phone, he told me that he'd always had a thing for me, but he could never bring it up because nobody knew he was also into boys, and since I was about to leave anyway, what the hell, right? I was in pure shock. I thought I might have misheard. He then asked me if I was serious with Daha, to which I just replied that we just started dating, and then he brazenly asked if he could have sex with me. I then told him the truth. I had a crush on him. I've always had a crush on him. And I of course wanted to sleep with him, plain and simple. But then there was Daha. So I told him that I had to ask him first. After we ended the call, I decided to take a breather, because that was wild to me. I gathered myself, and I called Daha. As I was waiting for him to pick up, my heart started racing as if something was awake inside me. Until then, I had been pretty monogamous whenever I was in a relationship with somebody. Before I could gather my thoughts, Daha picked up. 
and I told him everything. We had a good laugh because apparently that tale wasn't just wild to me, and the cherry on top of the cake was that Daha thought that it was also kind of hot. I then mustered up the courage to ask him if it would be okay for me to have sex with somebody else. It didn't take long for him to eventually say, we've only been dating for a month, so go ahead, have fun. I was immediately hooked, because I knew that, again, it was something new to me, that the relationship that I had with Daha was going to be an open one. After the call, I gave Aaron another call, and asked when he wanted to meet up, and then he asked, what about now? And I agreed. He came over in less than 15 minutes because he also lived in my apartment complex. Things were awkward at first because he had never been with a guy, so I slowly touched his hand and asked him if that was okay. He nodded. I motioned myself towards him and gave him a kiss, just a peck, and I asked him if that was okay. He nodded again, and then he whispered to me, I want you to teach me. So I did. Dating multiple people at once has never been a foreign concept to me, but being in a relationship with somebody and still sleeping with other people was. It was this abstract line that I had created because essentially when you look at it, it is very similar to dating multiple individuals at once. And that night, the line dissolved. Aaron and I spent around two hours having sex. I remember that it wasn't just an intimate moment for him, it was also something completely new. After Aaron and I were done, we stared at the ceiling while catching up, and I told him how great Daha was, and then he made a snarky remark by saying, Oh, I hope your boyfriend doesn't get angry. To which I replied, Nah, we talked it over and he's super cool about it. Aaron left after a while, and I was still in the midst of all the feelings that I felt while I was with Aaron, so I thought it would be a good idea to give Daha all the hot deets. I noticed that Daha left a couple of messages, so I called him directly. I told him that Aaron and I were just having sex, and he was surprised because he didn't think that it would happen that fast. I could almost taste the jealousy while he was trying to get a vivid picture of what I did with Aaron. Daha then exclaimed the fact that he's getting very turned on, listening to the details, but also at the same time he was feeling jealous, something that he didn't expect, and that is all because he loved me. He quickly said, oh shit. Perhaps because that was the first time that the L-bomb was dropped in the one month of our relationship. I knew what my feelings were for him, he was the first person who made me grow and explore so much of myself in such a short span of time. I could only hope that I returned the favor in one way or another. He then asked me, You still there? And all I could say was, I love you too. A few weeks after Aaron and I had sex, things were still going strong with Daha and I. But then, it was examination week for him. I had already started to look for a new place, and in general, I gave Taha a lot of time to himself so he can focus on studying. Given how successful it was with Aaron, I thought I should shoot my shot and confirm with him that our relationship was indeed open. 
Perhaps it was bad timing, but the moment I asked him that over the phone, he got so aggravated and told me to do whatever I wanted to so that he could continue studying. I'm sure everybody listening would consider this a yellow traffic light, a sign to put things on hold until he was in a better headspace. But back then, it was a blaring green light for me. It was the dawn of the age of open relationships for me. And from then on, I thought I could never go back from the sense of liberation. I slept with a couple of people I met online that week, and I thought that I would just tell Taha after he was done with his exams. A part of me felt bad, of course. I remember thinking, stop, you might hurt the person you love. But I didn't, because I thought we were so much stronger than that. It didn't come as much of a surprise to me that once I told him about my sexcapades after his exams, that he got angry. He told me that he was already very suspicious that it often took me a very long time some days to reply to his text messages. He further elaborated that it was also thus my fault that he found it very hard to concentrate not only in the process of studying but also answering his exam questions. I apologized profusely and I offered him to come over so we could just talk it through. That was perhaps the first fight out of the many that we had. I remember that he shouted at me a lot, which I was used to because my parents did that a lot to me. Taha wanted me to be more honest and upfront about the things that I did because this was all very new to him too. I wanted him to be more honest and upfront about his feelings so things won't spiral. After we aired everything. We had a very rom-com makeup sex, which I remembered was great. A month had passed and Taha was helping move to my new place. When everything was settling down, I remember looking at this new room of mine, which was on the 28th floor in awe. I no longer had to sleep in a single bed because there was a super nice queen bed in the room. There was a built-in humongous wooden dresser, the bathroom had white tiled walls and pink floor tiles with a cute maroon toilet bowl. I quickly fell in love with this place, and my place became my haven with Daha. Much like Indonesia, Malaysia is also highly conservative, and with Daha being a Muslim, the stakes were so much higher. We had to be very cautious when we're out and about, so whenever we got back to my place, we would always take a sigh of relief and relax in the calm of our solitude. That was until Taha received his exam results. He failed. My first thought when I heard him cry saying that he failed his semester exam was, Fuck, I did this. I didn't bring it up and I just listened to him. But true enough, he said that he couldn't concentrate because the thought of having me, the person he loved with another person, sparked a lot of jealousy in him. My natural reaction was then to offer him a way out if this was indeed too much for him. He proclaimed that he didn't want to lose me and that we had to go slow. At that moment, a memory played in my head 
of my dad telling me that love is compromise. We then decided on a rather peculiar arrangement, in which both of us would open up our relationship on alternating months. I then asked him what he was going to do regarding his university. After a long pause, he then told me that he was going to quit. To my surprise. Daha told me that much like me, he wanted to get a clean slate because he wasn't particularly fond of the thing that he was studying then. A part of me was ready to ditch the relationship then because I thought that it wasn't going to be the kind of relationship that I envisioned. But then it hit me that if I quit every single time things go south, what kind of person would I be? On top of that. There was, of course, this looming sense of guilt that I did this to him, so I chose to persevere and stayed. Daha then moved to another university to start fresh, and I was happy for him. So happy, in fact, that I actually gave him a copy of my keys to him, because my place should feel like a place for the two of us. The first month that we spent after making the arrangement was a closed month. This was probably my biggest fuck up with not telling him what I did. I stockpiled guys. You see, Dahai and I only agreed to sleep with other people during our open months, but we never agreed on not talking to boys in the meantime. In doing so, you might think that this was already a breach of trust, and I thought that too. And that's perhaps why I didn't tell him. When the first open month finally came. I remember that I slept with a staggering number of over ten other guys whenever I wasn't with Daha, and Daha and I spent a lot of time together already. One night, while Daha and I were out having dinner, he asked me if I had slept with people already, to which I comfortably said, "Yes." He then asked me for a number, so I just said ten or so, and I saw his jaw drop. His shock. Quickly turned to frustration as he began interrogating me as to how I managed to even sleep with that many people in such a short amount of time. I just shrugged it off and told him that I was talking to some people. The car ride back to my place was eerily silent. Once we got back to my room, I recall him slamming the door. I asked him what was wrong, and that rubbed him off so wrong. He started shouting at me. I can't believe that you could do this to us. Am I not enough for you? How can you even find so many people? What the fuck am I to you? I eventually told him that I was texting other people beforehand so that I could plan the people I wanted to meet during our open months. He then shouted even louder, "You're talking to people in our closed month." I thought his anger had subsided as he started tearing up, but I was wrong because he stood up, looked at me in the eyes, and then he slapped me so hard that I could hear a buzzing in my ear. I apologized to him profusely, and I told him that I would respect the boundaries that we have set. And he just kept crying and asking me if I actually loved him. I was then determined to set things right with him, and he was too. He wasn't the first ever guy who hit me, so I thought it happens, you know. We spent even more time together, and I told him that he should also look for other boys to sleep with, or better yet, 
have a threesome with me, which we eventually did. As liberating and eye-opening my first threesome was in the sense that I really liked it, I don't think it was the same for Taha. Once the guy that we slept with left, Taha looked troubled to say the least. His emotions started spiraling yet again as he voiced out how agonizing it was to see me being intimate with another person right in front of him. What I thought was another one of his regular fits quickly took a turn when he eventually grabbed a cutter knife. I got a chill and my voice started shaking. Daha, what are you doing? I asked him. He then pushed the sharp end of the cutter knife into his forearm. I... I didn't know what to do. I froze. All I could think about was, what have I done? I told him to stop, and he just shouted, no! And then he made another cut, and then another. I wasn't having it, so I slowly walked towards him, and I tried taking the cutter away from his hand. So he swung the cutter in my direction, which grazed my arm too, and it stung. He realized that I was bleeding, but all he could think about was probably how I, again, tried taking something away from him. So he punched me in the gut, and my body immediately curled. He then told me he couldn't bear the pain of somebody else that he loves leaving him. Soon after, he calmed down, and I proceeded to tend to both our wounds. Our fight didn't stop there, however, because the big elephant in the room was still lingering there. Taha wanted to close the relationship, but it was painfully obvious to him that I really enjoyed the open aspect of our relationship. We spent around an hour trying to find a middle ground, and my eyes were just fixated on the cutter knife that he had put down on my desk, fearing that he might pick it up again and start cutting. He eventually decided that he didn't want to lose me, so he would give the open relationship another chance. He was never really the same afterwards. Uh, I knew for a fact that he was skipping classes so that he could see me, and he was being overly attached, but I thought the right thing for me to do was to be present. At the same time, because things with Daha was getting quite out of hand, I directed most of my energy to schoolwork just trying to mask whatever was wrong that I wasn't fully aware yet. Daha, on the other hand, found it harder and harder to concentrate, and he had nobody else to share his woes with other than me. I knew that this wasn't going to work out, and I had to break up with him just six months into our relationship. The following week, I told him that it won't work, and he went on another rampage, he broke my desk, punched a hole in my cupboard, and then he beat me up that night for an hour because I too wanted to leave him. That was the first time ever, I think, that somebody had beaten me up in my life. It hurt, of course, but surprisingly, despite being the one who was committing the physical abuse, Taha was also the one who was crying. Even through all the punches that he landed on my arms, my back, stomach... I saw this guy who chose violence to get what he wanted. He knew that it won't work, but he couldn't seem to stop himself. Once it was evident that I wasn't reacting the way that he wanted me to, he stopped for a second, and he opened my window before he sat on my windowsill. He then asked me, should I just go? And I panicked. 
I started crying and I told him, stop, don't do this, I love you. But really, all I could think about was how much trouble it would be if he died after jumping from my place, and if the police connected his death to me, then I might get deported. He eventually broke down at my windowsill after telling me that he was scared and that he loved me. The sight of this guy, much bigger than I am, crying for his dear life because he didn't know what to do was sad. I pitied him. All I wanted was freedom, but all I got was more shackles. Once his rage died down, he apologized for ransacking my place. He promised to be better so that I could be with the man that I deserved. I shrugged off that incident as yet another consequence of my series of fuck-ups, and I thought I had seen improvements with Daha. We went on a couple of trips together to try smoothening the healing process, but it wasn't too long before things went south again. A couple of months later, I remembered that it was one of our open months. I think I had just gone back from clubbing with a couple of friends, and I brought this guy back home. I remember that we fucked, and since it was pretty late, I offered this guy to just stay at my place for the night. The following morning, I woke up because somebody was touching my leg. I gathered myself quickly and I rubbed my eyes before I realized that it was Taha. He had used his copy of my keys to enter my room at 6 in the morning. I was butt naked. The guy that I had sex with the night prior was also butt naked. Daha was towering before me with a look of disappointment in his face and he just said, we need to talk, and then he headed to the living room. I then woke the guy up and told him what was happening as concisely as I could. He frantically dressed himself up and he quickly left my place without even noticing that Daha was even there. I also put on my clothes and for the first time in the course of our relationship, I felt absolute fear for my life. Taha eventually entered my room with a look that I can't even describe with words. His fists were clenched, his jaws locked, and then he lunged on top of me, pinning me down on the floor and then beating me up yet again. He then proceeded to tell me that I should have replied to his goodnight text because he was so worried so he proceeded to beat me up so hard, I curled up on the floor and I started crying because he packed a lot more force in his punches this time around. He then grabbed my hair and he looked at my tear-soaked face and then um, he told me, Don't worry, I'm going to beat you up everywhere except your face so that everybody won't know that you've been beaten up. He then lifted me and threw me onto my bed. He grabbed that darn cutter knife again, which in retrospect, I really should have thrown out. And when I thought that he would start cutting me, he stabbed my bed and started cutting and cutting, clawing out the sponge from within, telling me that my bed was disgusting. It was filled with so many memories that I've shared with so many people who weren't him. He broke my glasses. He broke my chair, slashed some of my shirts. After he was done, he told me that he would go back to his parents' place because he couldn't stand me that day. Right after he slammed the door shut, I felt the pain surging from multiple sources of my body, 
and then I got a glimpse of my room, which was in shambles. He he destroyed my home. I tried fixing everything the best I could, but it was never the same. I remember I said stop. The next couple of months were beyond horrible. I couldn't focus as well, but I still tried doing my best with my studies and all of the extracurricular works that I got myself involved in. Daha would also demand to hang out with me, and I didn't have much choice, so I had to endure it. This was a period of chronic low for me, as I also plunged deep into drinking. I think that I easily drank a bottle of hard liquor a week, on top of the many drinks that I would have when I went out clubbing during the weekend. Some days, I would just sit by the windowsill, uh, looking into my room, which was fixed, but not the same. And then I would look outside to the skyline of the city that I grew to love before looking down to the parking lot. I remember thinking this quite a lot when I was drunk. 28 floors, quite the jump, but I couldn't do it. I wanted to get out, but I couldn't. I wanted to love him, but I couldn't. I wanted things to just stop. So I often sat by my windowsill, just waiting for the breeze of the wind to sway me either left or right, whichever way wouldn't be pleasant. The lowest low that I've experienced was probably this one night after I had gone back from clubbing, so I was dead asleep and butt naked. I woke up in the middle of the night feeling uncomfortable, and then I realized that it was because Taha was beating me up in my sleep. There was no more sense of privacy. No more sense of security. I told him that night, just kill me already. And he just chuckled. And he just said, no. I think I'm also going to start punching your face from now on. Who knows? I might be able to make an art out of it. He kept on punching, and at some point, I passed out. But then I gained consciousness again, because he kept going. After he was done, he told me that he was about to go on a trip for a month and that I would need to hand him my phone once he got back, so that he could check if I was being unfaithful. I was done. I had surrendered at this point in time. The only salvation that I could yearn for was probably to just finish up my bachelor's degree and get the fuck away from him. Around the same time that he went on this trip, I met this boy who would eventually become my boyfriend after Taha. His name is Skylar, who made an appearance on episode 8. Once I realized that Skylar was somebody that I could definitely fall for, I realized that I needed to get help, to get away from Taha. The mother of one of my first ever gay friends in Malaysia was eventually the key to the entire process. She's an incredible woman who worked in a nonprofit, and she had contacts with people who could help me get away from my abuser. Looking back, I remember that my friend's mom noticed that I was still hesitant about leaving him, so she just told me, This person has been awful to you, and both of you need help, but nothing can happen unless you are sure and are willing to take action. And I should have realized it much sooner, sought help a lot earlier. No matter the circumstances, I didn't deserve all the abuse. Violence is never the answer. Taha got back shortly after I started planning my escape, and to his surprise, I had remained faithful, quote-unquote, because I covered my tracks well. 
I knew what I had to do. I had also started telling people about what Taha had been doing up until then, and everybody was supportive. One night, while I was biding my time, Taha and I went out for drinks with a couple of friends, and I made a remark about how cute this one friend of his was, and he completely lost it. He slapped me in front of people at the bar. Perhaps he was a lot brazen this time around because his inhibitions were kind of loose. So I took him back home. That day was Saturday, the 30th of January, 2016. Once we got home, he kept on rambling about how horny he was and that he really wanted to fuck me. But I politely told him to stop. He then told me that I didn't love him anymore. And that was why I kept rejecting his advances. He started beating me up again. And then uh, he pinned me down before undressing me and then himself. In his drunken state, Taha, who was fully hard, started ramming himself dry inside me. I told him, stop, 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 repeatedly. My struggles were just in vain as he pinned me down and he kept fucking me. I felt everything burning because it was pain like I'd never experienced before. I was also boiling with, with anger and hatred and disgust. He kept on going for 15 minutes before he eventually came inside me. Taha then passed out right after he was done. So I gathered myself before I brisked my way into the toilet. I was bleeding, my blood mixed with all of his cum and my tears as I broke down in there. I've read about survivors of sexual assaults. I just never thought that it was something that I would experience in this day and age. I got it. The, you know, the feeling of powerlessness, that aftertaste of disgust, that sensation that you're so small. I understood it. I took a shower immediately because fuck it. I wouldn't risk reporting him to the authorities of a homophobic country and risk deportation. I made sure to wash off everything and I scrubbed myself clean so I can shed all of the hesitation to end this chapter with him. As I walked outside my bathroom, I felt the residual pain from wherever he had hit me. I looked at Taha, who was naked and asleep in my bed. The bathroom light was the only thing that illuminated my entire room, so I managed to caught a glimpse of this person who kept taking and taking things from me. I looked at all the traces of his violence lingering everywhere in that room, from the hole in my cupboard to my own reflection in the mirror. I knew how it was going to be once he woke up. He would realize the gravity of the thing that he did, he would apologize and he would be nice for a couple of days, maybe weeks, and then he would start again. He needed help in a scale that I could not provide. I told my friend's mom, the one who had previously agreed to help me about everything, and that I would like to have an intervention for Taha in public in a few weeks maybe, so I can get everything sorted out. He knew where I lived, he knew my friends, he still had my fucking keys, so I had to be preemptive about my strike. I arranged for my friend and his mom to come join Taha, one of Taha's friends, and I during one of our dinner runs to begin the ambush. I told him that I wanted an out, and I wanted 
my keys back. Taha eventually realized that it was all premeditated, and that I even got his friend on my side to support what I was doing. Taha started shouting in the middle of the taco restaurant that we were dining in, and he immediately went for his friend first, telling her that she was a conniving bitch of a friend. He started calling me names, wishing that he had never met me because I ruined his life, and then he lunged in my direction to grab my phone because I had placed it on the table. My friend's mom immediately intervened, telling him that if Taha knew what he had done so far, he would be ashamed and walk away. He chuckled, perhaps because he realized that he was cornered into a dead end, and then he started walking away. When Taha exited the restaurant, he threw my keys in my direction and immediately smashed my phone on the ground. He looked at me one more time, this time with tears in his eyes, and then he walked away wailing. I stayed with my friend and his mom for a couple of days, and I felt safe surrounded by unfamiliar walls. After three days, I decided to go back to my place because I felt ready. As I entered my room, I felt a surge of relief because it was finally over. Before I could reach the resolution to my relief, somebody rang my doorbell. It was Taha. I had a second door made out of metal bars, so there was that between the two of us. He begged me to take him back and that he would never hurt me again. I told him to stop. As he got frustrated, he tried prying the metal bar door open and to my surprise he managed to do so and he extended his arm to try and reach me. After a while, he was hyperventilating, and then he fell on the floor, obviously having a panic attack. I stood there, watching him beg me not to leave him as he gasped for air. I told him, goodbye, Taha, and then I closed the door. A couple of my neighbors realized that somebody was on the floor outside of our unit and took him in. I went back to my room and I looked at the hole in my cupboard. I had bought some plaster the previous day, so I decided that to plaster that wooden cupboard. It didn't work, obviously. So I had a pretty good laugh as the plaster dripped through the hole. So I just had to tell my landlord to fix it then. <laughs> Here's the last passage from the document that I wrote. Today is the 22nd of June, 2017. Here I am, lying on my stomach in front of my laptop, alive and well. I kept going, and I know not everybody is privileged enough to do so, but I sought for help. If you know people who have suffered sexual assault or abuse, listen to their story and stand with them in their journey out of this dark pit. As an update, I moved out of that place that place with total angst. I remember the windowsill, where he would normally sit by after he was done letting out his pent-up anger, trying to jump. I tried to jump too, to cross over that windowsill. But the last night before I moved out, I didn't want to jump. And instead, I just felt the night breeze for one last time from that height, glad that it didn't take me back to the sea.
This is Andy or Andrew, and you're listening to Edgy But Like Make It Gay. If you've listened to this podcast this far, thank you. And I hope it has made you feel all sorts of things. I'll be taking a break, and I'll be back in a couple of months. Music this episode is by Less FM and Dream Heaven. Stay safe, be amazing, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.